0: Welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm JD Wilson and I am your host. And today in the show, we throw back to one of our episodes that applies the most this time of year, and that is our episode on transitions. As most of you know, it is just about to be school time uh, if you are listening to this live and some of you listening have already sent your kids back to school. Some of you listening are about to send your kids back to school, but we wanted to talk about transitions because it is a very, very important factor in how we care for our kids, how we think about their day, how we set them up for success. Uh, So much of that hinges on transitions. And so uh, as we gear up for an Another school year and a fall semester um, with our kids. Here is uh, our team talking about transitions and we think you're going to love this episode. Here it is. Well, we've got uh, Jesse Ferris and Becca McKay with us today, Um, both members of the ETC team. And um, guys, we have talked recently, and I shared with y'all before we start recording that we've gotten several texts from friends recently, kind of in a panic saying, can y'all please record an episode on transitions because we are losing it. And um, I would just echo that. Like, this is a, a time of the year where um, when we're recording this, we're in, you know, fall in one of those long stretches of time where it's just like the routine and the schedule. And, um, you know, you might be in a, a, an area where that does fall break or your family might do fall break kind of stuff or whatever, but you're just in the, the, the grind of fall life. And um, for some of us, it's really easy and great. For some of us, uh, it might be eating us alive. And so what we wanted to do today was just bring up a few ideas um, just to frame how we handle transitions, what they are, um, what they might be connected to in a deeper sense, and then just talk really practically about how we can help our kids and ourselves to kind of manage through these transitions that we have every day. And so, um, Becca, why don't we start with you? If, if you will, will you just kind of frame what transitions are, just so we're all on the same page, you know, language-wise, what transitions are, and then kind of how we can begin to manage those.
1: Absolutely. So I think whenever we think about transitions, I mean, I just, when you were saying it's so hard, I was just like sitting here going, it's so hard. (laughs) Transitions are so hard. And I think that sometimes we can get stuck thinking about the big things like dropping my kid off to school for the first time. And so we really think about that a lot and we plan for it and we ask our friends and family, what should we do? How do we help? Um, And so I think some of us, we have in our mind, these big transitions, and that is a big transition, But the thing about transitions is that they happen all the time, always, because a transition is just moving from one thing to another. And so we move from one thing to another about 782 times in a day. And then in a year or in a month, we also have these transitions. You know, you mentioned fall break. Um, When I was a school counselor for a couple of years, every year I had a pre-saved October email because October was a time when, you know, we've kind of got the routines down. We've got fall break. Holidays seem really far away. It's just a challenging time. So that's like... Moving from one thing to another, moving from fall into winter, that's a big transition. So I think when we're thinking about transitions, we can think about them kind of in this like in a day, every time we're moving from one thing to another, that's a transition. And then in a week, a month, or a year, we've also got these built-in kind of rhythms and transitions. And both can be challenging for us as adults and for kids. Um, And so I think just like throwing it out there, like it's hard to switch gears like, I think it's hard for all of us. Um, and so I think just starting with us is a good place to start. Like, think about your own self and what times of year are hard for you, what times of day are hard for you. I'm a morning person. I am up early, ready to go. My husband is not. So when we got married, he is a guy that sets an alarm for every 10 minutes for about 40 minutes before he gets up. I'm like a one and done, set my alarm and I'm up. And so that's how we manage the transition of waking up is really different. Like that 5 a.m. hits from his phone and I'm up, even though I don't have anywhere to be till nine. (laughs) But he's going to sit there and hit snooze, 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 and then get up. And so that's how we manage transitions in our house.
0: So, Jesse, I'll, I'll first of all, I will echo the incessant snoozing because I, for whatever reason, I, my body cannot kick into gear with that first alarm. So, I have to be a psychopath and set a bunch just like your husband does. <laughs> um, Jesse, you know, we, we it, Becca talks about it from a school perspective and kind of that thought that she always had um, as a school counselor, just helping prep teachers and families for this. As a parent, um, and especially if we're, if we're parenting kids who have endured any kind of adversity or stress or, um, trauma in the past, you know, this can be a, a really tricky thing to handle as a, as a parent. So why don't you talk about it from a parental perspective, um, why transitions can be difficult. And then we'll start talking about sort of the, the bigger and smaller ones.
2: Sure. Um, well, and I do echo that. I mean, I do think we have to think about ourselves as adults that, um, managing transitions is just something all of us have to handle. And some of us are really sensitive to those transitions. And some of us are a little more flexible. And I think the flexibility level of each person just differs with personality. I mean, you may be the kind of person that loves to fly by the seat of your pants. And that's the way you would prefer to go through the world. And uh, you may be married to somebody or have a best friend or have someone in your family who really likes to have it planned out, likes to have something in place and likes to know what's happening. They, you know, I have friends that will say, I hate surprises. And then I have friends who love surprises. And um, I mean, I think that just gets to the heart of transitions. It's um, how well, how flexible are you from to change gears? And some of us just have stickier gears. I, I think about myself in the morning uh, you know, Becca was talking about mornings. I was just telling my children this morning, you guys, I really need help managing this transition. Waking up is so, so hard for me. I need a lot of time to do it. I wake up early intentionally so it'll be quiet. And then mm-hmm. it's not always quiet, which is really hard for me.
0: <laughs> <It's a killer. laughs>
2: yeah. So um, I, I was enlisting my family's help this morning. Like, just help me out, guys. I really, let's talk about ways to help me manage this transition. Um, but I think particularly with our kids who ha- have experienced adversity or trauma, it can be, um, if you think about chaos, I mean, trauma really just um, involves a chaotic feeling, a feeling that you're not in control, that something happened to you that, that you had no agency over. And um, whether that happened once or repeatedly, that feeling, no one likes that feeling, right? right? And so if you think about a transition, that often triggers that feeling, the feeling that like, oh, oh wait, I, I, was, I was in a flow and now it's changing and I don't have a lot of agency or control over that. And so we may see that popping up in our kids um, the way we would think about them maybe being controlling or manipulative. We may, we may characterize them as a control mm-hmm. freak when really internally they're really just struggling with this feeling of chaos that they're reminded of or that they're struggling with. Um, and so I think we just have to be sensitive to this idea that, you know, sometimes our sticky gear comes from the way that it felt in the past yeah. when something yeah. happened to us that we had no control over or that we, that hadn't been revealed to us in advance. And so then we're scared of surprises or we're scared of the unknown.
0: And I just think just as, tonight. As, as, a, as adults, I think that the thing that um, we tend to understand really intrinsically and get frustrated about with our kids is when we are in a situation, whether it be, uh, you're trying to have that quiet moment in the morning and somebody gets up and is already asking you a thousand questions and it's not even 6 a.m. yet. Or, um, you know, you're trying to have your moment at night or you're just trying to get a workout in by yourself or whatever the, whatever it might be. Um, we get so jarred by those times because we have a moment of control where we're doing what we want to do. And we've got a firm grip on, you know, what we need. We're trying to get that for ourselves. And when it gets interrupted, it's so much more frustrating than just a regular interruption throughout the flow of the day. And so when we keep that in mind, uh, if you can, if you can imagine that, but through the lens of a, 8-year-old brain, 9-year-old brain that doesn't have full human context yet. It it is a lot easier to understand where those explosions come from and to have compassion to start addressing or or planning better for those those moments. Becca
1: I just wanted to say, Jess, I love what you said about some of us have sticky gears. And I think whenever we're thinking about this conversation, is about to get really practical. And what I think happens whenever we get practical advice is we really, really want quick fixes. And we really, really want a one-size-fits-all <laughs> approach. So I want someone to tell me, if you use a timer, then 100% of kids are going to do great with the transition. <laughs> and so I love that you started there because I think it's about... Getting to know your own needs first, and your partner, if you're parenting with a partner or your spouse, and then getting to know the needs of your kid, or if you're a teacher, the kids in your classroom. And it's about trying different things. So I hope as listeners listen today and they hear different pieces of advice, that they just give it a try, but that they always keep in mind the personality of the kid in front of them, the needs of the kid in front of them, because I just think we want so badly for it to go well that we sometimes make ourselves crazy because we're like, I tried this thing that they said and it didn't work. Um, And like you said, Jess, maybe that is a person who's like really spontaneous. And so the routine is really not helping them. And so versus the kid who needs so much structure or the adult who needs so much structure. So I just love that you said that because I think it frames... The practical advice, right, you've got to be willing to be flexible as the adult to try different things and kind of see what works and see what helps. Um, and I think in doing this, you know, we talk about it all the time, we're going to make missteps missteps and mistakes and we're going to stumble through it and there's going to be some tricky spots and even if we do everything perfect, The kid might still have a meltdown Um, and that's okay because we're just continuing to be curious and thoughtful um, and just really be proactive. So I just love that you said that because I think it's so, so true.
2: And I also would encourage us to think about, um, you know, at at ETC, we're always saying we need high structure, high nurture, right? So how can we bring this into our transitions? Even if you've got a kid that Prefer has a personality that's a little more adventurous, prefers to fly by the seat of their pants, they still probably like everything in its own place in a certain way in yeah. the way that fits them. So what does high structure look like for that child? You know, like how can that child be assured that they're going to get their needs met? Which really placing boundaries around that, placing limits in their life so that they know that they have a time and a place for things and in, in the way that works for them, I think is what high structure looks like in that type of personality.
0: Well, let's let's flip even what we talked about right before we started recording um, a little bit. And why don't, we, why don't we start talking about what these big seasonal kind of life transitions look like. Um, and then we'll get more into the nitty gritty practical suggestions. And so um, Becca, when we talk about Uh, And different, depending on who you are reading or listening to, there's going to be different terms for the same idea, but these uh, either seasonal transitions or life transitions or big transitions, whoever you want to listen to in that, Um, what are examples of some of those and why might those be things we need to, to consider? Absolutely. So
1: some examples of those that are easy to think of is going to be like holidays are going to be a big seasonal transition. Um, Think about, you know, we mentioned it, but when kids go to school and they progress through the grade levels, those are big transitions. Um, We kind of know as parents that there's kind of the toddler age, then there's kind of the elementary school age, then you hit puberty, then there's a high school age. So those are some big transitions that happen. Um, There's also thinking about in a week, right? Monday through Friday has a feel, but the weekends have a different feel. Um, If you are a family that does like family reunions or vacations or family cookouts, like that's gonna be a big kind of event. So when you're thinking about the big transitions, sometimes it's helpful to just kind of like think through what are some big events that happen in our family? Um, And that can kind of be your cue for, okay, this is gonna be a big thing. And I think that, you know, my first... I guess piece of advice or thought about these big life transitions is just because it's fun doesn't mean it's easy for your family. So I think uh, this is this brings up something that we kind of mentioned before. We hopped on the onto recording, which is we expect when we have this big fun family reunion or we have this big fun family trip or it's Christmas. Our expectation is this is going to be so fun and awesome. But because kids thrive with routines and people thrive with routines and rhythms, kind of throws us off balance a little bit and so sometimes those are the times that are so hard for kids and for families because we're expecting it to just be awesome and fun and then we get into it and it's so hard and tricky and there's tantrums and there's crying and we don't understand why can't you just have a good time I think about a family vacation when I was probably like nine and we were just bickering I'm one of four and we were on this trip and I we were somewhere fun I think it was a carnival or a fair and we're on on one of those little rides. And um, my mom literally turned to us and she yelled, we're having fun kids. <laughs> and that is the moment when they uh, snap the picture that you get at the end. So we have oh this picture where gosh. we're all laughing because we thought it was so funny. And she is just looks so angry. Like we're having fun. Stop bickering. But I think that like, <laughs> that is how we feel like we want it to be fun and we want it to be good and i sorry, I went down that little tangent rabbit, rabbit no, trail for just a second, that's great. but I just think these big moments. And so when we're thinking about preparing for big moments, preparing is the key, right? Preparing ourselves to be a little more patient and have a little more grace and flexibility mm-hmm. and preparing our kids, depending on their age, with a lot of talking about it, a lot of telling them what's to expect, um, a lot of Let's show pictures of what we're about to do. Let's like read books if it's something like going to school. Um, Those are some of my initial thoughts and I would love to hear you and Jesse's on kind of those big life transitions.
2: Well, I would say, I mean, 100% amen to the um, excitement slash stress and we teach parents that um those load this from the same place in the brain so excitement the place in your brain that lights up when you Mm -hmm. feel excited it's also the place in your brain that lights up when you feel afraid and a lot of our kids whose brains are still developing they can't tell the difference in that feeling so they think they're excited but they also feel afraid it's like what's the difference um so it's really interesting because I would say I probably manage a big transition like preparing for a, a medical procedure. We've had some of those in our family with kiddos um, preparing to go into a surgery or into a medical procedure that we know about in advance. I, I do a lot of the same things for that as I do to prepare for a birthday or to prepare for Christmas or something like that that's really fun and exciting. Um And that would be talking about it, talking about what we think it might be like. Um, I love Becca's idea about reading books. That's such a great thing because we're able to imagine ourselves in the character's point of view when we read a children's book or even even a chapter book with older kids. Um, I would say also just um, asking them what they think it will be like. And mm-hmm. listening to them talk about their fears, you know, especially with something that might not be fun, something mm-hmm. like a medical procedure or um, a big move to a different city or um, even the first day of school where you're separating from a parent and, and the child feels afraid. I think that sometimes we as parents can feel like, oh, I don't, I, I don't want them to feel this fear. I don't want them to feel the stress. But I think the, the ability to process their feelings is the important part, that we, can't take those, that we can't take the difficulty away from our kids, but just being able to be with them while they experience the difficulty is the key, right? So um, I, I guess just having the ability to process those feelings with our kids about the big transitions can be really important. And then revealing whatever we can in advance is really, really important too. I love that.
1: And I also, um, it's making me think about when we have to, whenever our kid has to do something that's hard, which they do. Life is hard sometimes. I think another thing that we can do is um, sometimes we're afraid to be honest with our kids. And so I think what we want, like you said, we want to protect them from those feelings. But like you said, if they're going to have a medical procedure and it's going to hurt, being honest with them about that, that can actually be helpful because they're not feeling like, Uh, this like surprise shock, the rugs pulled out from under me. Like if we can just normalize and tell them like, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to hold you. They're going to give you a shot and it's going to feel pokey. And um, just normalizing that we can tell them in age appropriate ways and you have to know your kid. So timing is going to be important. If you've got a kid with tons of anxiety, you might not want to start preparing them a month in advance. You might want to start preparing preparing them the weekend before because they really could get on that hamster wheel of anxiety. But you can still, you know, find the right time to prepare them. And then I also think you can practice a lot, especially with the little ones. Um, you know, you've seen examples of where they show on a teddy bear, you know, how it's going to look after your procedure, or you know, you pretend like your stuffed animal is going to go to school and where will they sit and who will they sit by? And that really can be super helpful for kids if they get to practice what it's going to be like. If you are going somewhere new, like school, if you if they'll let you, if you've got somebody who really has a hard time with new things, if the school will let you come in on a day when it's kind of empty and just like walk around with you. Um, I know COVID protocols have changed access in a lot of ways. But when you have these big things coming up, if you're going to move, do you have the finances and the ability to take your kids to the town that you're going to move to before you're moving? Can you do that? Or if not, can you find videos and pictures online to show them this is what's going to look like. And look, they have Sonic here too. And um, kids need normalcy. And so- when you're preparing for those big moves, I know we're kind of jumping around different types of transitions, yeah. but when you're preparing for like a big move, um, think about what are their routines that they really enjoy? Like maybe you're moving across the world, but they really love to watch Bluey. Well, when you get there, you can like let them watch Bluey because that's a consistent thing. It's kind of, you know, we talk about transition objects. Sometimes that can be a really helpful piece of the puzzle. So I just love that you were talking about really preparing them for an advance. advance. Practicing it with them and giving them maybe sometimes an object or a familiarity thing.
2: I would say, too, we do this a lot on vacations, particularly with one of my children that can feel anxious, excited. It's like all wrapped up together. um, Revealing what we're going to do each day for that child, Mm -hmm. it it requires a little bit of planning in advance, but just giving her an idea. You know, let's say we're going to Chicago. Here's here's like what we're thinking we're going to do on each day, the big thing. And then one thing that I've started implementing as part of this, and we even will do this on like a school break, for example, is why don't you pick three things that you can do if you feel bored? Because um, inevitably, they're going to be looking forward to the next big thing, the next uh-huh. big thing. And there's so, so much of transitions is like all the part in between, between all of those. Yeah. And so uh, being able to figure out like, okay, what are three things that are really fun for you? Or like, what do you love, you know, I I would even go to Target and get a paint by sticker book and a color, yeah. you know. Yeah. whatever is super fun for that kid. And those are things they can look forward to in the board times.
0: And um, go ahead and have yeah. those things in a backpack mm-hmm. where they know where it is and they've got, I mean, the same idea as a yes drawer. Like you've got, free reign in boredom time to hit that backpack, and you can paint by sticker, you can throw your ball, you can, you know, like whatever it might be. Um, I think, you know, it, all these conversations make me remind uh, remind myself and just um, remind us of there's also these, you know, pretty, pretty big milestones of brain development that are happening throughout childhood, and obviously because every kid's different, those things aren't all hitting right at the you know equational predictable like we don't have like the the halfway point of your six to seven year old birthday. Watch out March twenty fourth because that's going to be a killer day. Like we don't we don't have that in advance. But to remember and you know one of the things that that Tana and Mo both talk about a lot that that um, I think about right now is just being curious. Like when mm-hmm. when frustrating behaviors pop up that if our first our first thought is not always going to be like, oh, I wonder what's going on. It's usually going to be like, how do I keep myself from losing my mind right now? Like, but if we can, excuse the car noises, if we can uh, allow ourselves to then take a step back and think, what else is going on right now? And is it, like, are we in one of those kind of brain transitions where, you know, like the different stages of brain growth are happening and we might be experiencing some regression in a moment because there's so much growth and change happening within their body that they might not even be able to communicate it. Or are there trauma milestones like trauma, you know, traumaversaries that we talk about um, where, you know, we're coming up on a season or a memory or a, a, you know, uh, whether it's something in the weather or something geographically or something about that time of year or a holiday that can trigger some really negative memories. You know, we, sometimes we walk into those those cobwebs, so to speak, as a parent without thinking about it ahead of time. And before you know it, you're caught in there and you're just, you're, you're stuck. Um, and so for our kids, if we can keep that in mind and, and keep thinking about what might be going on behind Um, behind the behavior, uh, it does at least help us to have one level of defense against just being innately frustrated. And then I think second, secondarily, like when we, um, know those things are coming up, sometimes we can proactively prepare for them. Um, and Jess, like you were, you were talking about I me, mean, I always think of, of Jess as being one of the best preparers for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. And I, I know obviously a lot of that's out of necessity and just knowing your kids. Right. And like for, for some of our kids, kids, like um, spontaneity is really important. Like not being stuck in a rut of monotony is really important. So so for one of my kids in particular, the routine of like, here's a schedule of exactly what's going to happen every day. The walls are going to start closing on that kid. Like, oh my gosh, that's all we're doing today. Like, this is going to be the worst day ever. I can't handle this, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can relate to some of that too. And so sometimes we just need to say like, hey, let's go, let's go for a run. Let's go take the dog out. Let's go do whatever to break up uh, what would be like that boredom in between transition periods that can really cause our kids to get stuck. Okay, um, thinking now about those daily transitions and whether that's from the playground to the car to go home, whether that's from school to home, whether that's, you know, getting up in the morning to go to school. um, Why don't we talk about some of those transitions and what are some really practical ways we can start thinking for um, and managing those in in a healthy way?
2: Well, right off the bat, I'm thinking, um, I'm even thinking about a friend of mine I talked to years ago who was um, talking about how the interactions with her toddler first thing in the morning were uh, like the toddler would hit her and it was like lots of aggression. She was Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what to do. And we started exploring like, what, what if this has something to do with the transition between being separated from you to now you being present with that child, because that can be difficult. Like I shared, I have trouble with that in the morning being alone to being with people. And, um, so we had even talked about, um, having her just go in maybe 10 minutes before that kid needed to get up and get started for the day and just sitting in the rocking chair next to the crib and reading a book for herself, just being there. Um, if you've got kids that are that are struggling in the morning, you know what would it look like if you built in a little bit of transition time? And I think that's the key. What that I think about first is building in the time, or just thinking about not just going from this to that, yeah. Or, um, but building in a little bit of bridge time. I I love Tina Payne Bryson said once that um, anytime you've got a transition, think about building a bridge and that bridge always being connection. And Mm -hmm. it was such a great paradigm shift for me because it was like, okay, if we're struggling with our breakfast time in the morning, then what would it look like if maybe I spent a couple minutes maybe reading a favorite book to our kids first thing up in their rooms before we come down to breakfast? Or um, I I do this a lot like with um, with after school, or there'll be times when my kids have spent the night at a grandparent's house and they come back to my house and, you know, uh, we've got the attitude going, we're getting real sassy. It's real crazy feeling. I'm already thinking before that child has come back to my house or, or gotten in the car, what, what, what's my bridge going to be? So for example, this week, kids came back from a grandparent's house I, I had uh, an activity. I needed them to help me make pear butter because my neighbor across the street has a pear tree. She gave me all these pears. I was like, buddy, can you uh, peel these pears? And I need you to measure out these spices. Mm-hmm. And just doing this activity, it was something busy, something to do with their hands. We were all doing something together. It but it great. was like this sneaky, yeah, yeah. it smelled great. It tasted great, um, but we had this connective moment then before I needed to ask them to do anything for me, if that makes oh, yeah. sense. Yeah. It, but um, before we were transitioning to dinner time, so I always think about those bridges. And uh, Becca talked about transitional objects. Jill Stopberger, one of our therapists at Memphis Family Connection Center, has done this with her clients, with her kids. She has them take an object from their therapy session and take it home with them. Mm -hmm. And then she has one that matches it. And then they bring it back when they come for their next session. They both bring their transitional objects. And I think that's such a cool idea, um, she calls them something like love, love. I can't remember what it is now, but um, it, it's just like a really special ritual routine between them. And I, I think that's another example of a, of a bridge of connection.
0: Becca, when we think about those transitions that go towards school, some of us have had the, the experience of, um, you know, we drop our kids off and it doesn't matter the preparing we do. It mm-hmm. is just weeping and gnashing of teeth as soon as that separation time comes. And we understand that, that, you know, there's varying levels of that, all that. Some of our kids act like we're not even there and just bounce on into the school and there's no issues at all. And so, um, you know, when, when we think about a school day and the transitions that might be a challenge or might trip up some of our kids during the school day... From a school council perspective and you having been there for so many years, what are some ways that might be helpful for us to think through preparing our kids, um, you know, outside of the moment for those transitions that that might be tricky during school?
1: For sure. I think um, before I jump into that, I think I'm going to say this, J.D., which is that sometimes we can predict which transitions are going to be tricky. So sometimes we're going to know, okay, every time I drop my kid off, they're going to cry, which I will mention that separation distress being sad to leave you is actually a good sign for attachment. So you don't need Mm -hmm. to feel like you're doing a terrible job, Um, but you do need to trust that most of the time the kids that are scream crying. I mean, I have literally carried children into the school building more times than I can count And 99% of the time when they get to their classroom and they start doing the fun activity that their teacher has prepared for them, they're so happy. And I was able to text a picture of them happy to their parent less than five minutes later. So most of the time they're they're going to do okay transitioning in once they are separated from you. But I will say sometimes we can't prepare for the transitions because it's just trickier. But when you notice a pattern, so if the teacher calls you and they're like, hey, every time Susie has to come in from the playground, she is just struggling so bad. Um, I think step number one, Build positive relationships with your school staff. Partner with their teacher. Get to know them. Check on them. Text them whenever things are not going badly for your kid. Just build that connection. And same if you're a teacher listening to this podcast. Build relationships with parents because the partnership between a parent and a teacher is going to be a game changer for the kid that's experiencing trouble with transitions. Now to your actual question, what do we do at home to help them? (laughs) I think, number one, you got to get to know what are the tricky spots. And the only way to know that is if the teacher is going to communicate with you, okay? And then I think just put on your detective hat and be really curious about what's going on. A lot of times at school, what's hard is transitioning from a preferred activity, something I like doing, to a non-preferred activity, something I don't like doing. That is hard for all of us, but especially if we've experienced adversity and stress, we've lost that sense of control, that can be really, really difficult. So, you know, my number one is always going to be practice, practice, practice. So I think talking to the teacher about redos and giving them that kind of language from our Empowered to Connect framework, I think practicing with them, hey, let's pretend like our backyard is the playground. I've heard that it's kind of tricky for you to get inside from the playground. How fast do you think we can do it? Make it fun. Make it playful. Make it a game. If you're an educator, um, you know, you can think about transitions. You can think about making them fun. I saw a video this week of a teacher, a math teacher who had on his board, like his smart board, he had a clock that had down to the millisecond, and he wrote next to it, talk loudly until whatever it was, until 8, 52 and 30 seconds. And so in this video, the kids are loud and then they're like, wait, wait, it's about to be 30 seconds. And then they all got really quiet. So I think we oftentimes as adults, we want transitions to be this like, we've got to do this thing. But if we can like set back a little bit, get a little playful, get a little creative and give chances to practice, that's sometimes super helpful. If it's okay with you, JD, I would like to share a couple of tips for teachers We're kids that are struggling for transitions in the classroom. Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. Pop those out. Okay. So to pop out some of those, sometimes kids, you know, you're going to have a classroom routine, right? And a procedure. And that is going to work for like maybe 80% of your kids, right? That's going to be great. So keep doing that. Keep doing your normal routine. For the kiddo who's struggling, I would try, like we said at the beginning, there's no one size fits all, but I would try countdowns and timers. I would try, we've got 10 minutes. We've got five minutes. We've got two minutes. I would build in time, just like Jesse said, if we know that coming in from a playground is hard, which is hard for all of us, um, when we know we have 10 minutes left, let's tell the kids, hey guys, in about five minutes, we're going to transition in. That gives us five minutes of buffer because another part of ETC that we love to use is compromises, teaching kids to ask for a compromise. Hey, could I have five more minutes? So if we as the adult build in extra time so that we can give a yes That can be really awesome for kids. It can be tricky because you can't stack compromises. So they can't ask for five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes. And so it's going to be hard. And sometimes when you set the boundary and you've said yes to the compromise and it's time to come in, they're still going to cry or be upset. So I do think we need to remember, no matter what we do, sometimes they're still going to be upset and that's okay. But using countdowns and timers, Using visual schedules where they can see a picture of what's coming next can be a game changer. Um, Also, I think, Jesse, I love the idea of a bridge. So when you're thinking about we've got to come in from recess to do math or you're at home, we've got to clean up from dinner and do homework. Think about an activity that gets the kid close to what you want them to be doing. I'm going to use this as an example. If you've got a worksheet that the kid has to do, start with let's do this coloring page because coloring is fun. Then we're sitting at the table. We're in kind of like you know writing position. We're ready. We've got our we've got our body ready, and then it's a little easier to transition to now. Let's do the worksheet. It's harder to go from I'm swinging on the swing or jumping upside down flips on the trampoline right. to I'm sitting down writing. So if you can think about an activity that's kind of close to what you want them to be doing, that can be super helpful. Another thing about transitions is, uh, you know, I always want—I wanted teachers to give the one kid who was struggling the most with transitions, who was screaming, who wouldn't move, who was laying on the floor, crawling under tables. For that kid, I wanted to start with, you know, all the things I've just said. And then I wanted them to have a job and a spot in line, yeah. carry the teacher's water bottle, be the person at the back that makes sure the line is straight, Be the person who X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, carries the lunchboxes. Be the person who reminds everyone to be quiet by putting your hand on your mouth, like finger on your mouth, like give them a job and then give them a specific spot because you you guys would not believe the number of like almost fights that break out over who gets to be the line leader. So if your little guy is going to like punch someone because they can't be the line leader, And that lasts all the way up. You know, I worked at a K-5 school and that lasted all the way up to the fifth grader. So it did not go away. I'm not sure about middle school. I never worked in a middle school, but the spot was important. So give them a job and a spot. Another idea, which I think you can use at home or school is, um, you know, if you've got to move, maybe you've got to move the whole class to lunch and it's tricky for the kid, try setting them ahead. Try saying, hey, can you go get our spot ready? Can you go clean up at home? You know, if it's hard for them to transition to dinner, could they have a special, hey, could you be the person that goes and XYZ fill in the blank with an activity? So I give them either go ahead of us or stay behind. Hey, when everyone else goes to dinner, could you stay behind? Could you help mom? Could you look around and pick up any trash that you see? That would be so awesome. I know you can do it. I trust you. So just giving them like a different experience. Sometimes they just don't want to be doing what everybody else is doing and they want something special. So we can kind of build this. I know there's a lot of random different examples. Hopefully some of them were helpful, but that's some of the things I think about when I'm
0: thinking about transitions. Yeah, I, I think about just the, as we kind of, head toward closing here the the idea of transitions in the daily moments are really just on and off ramps um that like the countdowns and timers just help to smooth smooth the edge off of that (laughs) off of that i mean you're going from uh i mean i just think about whether it's riding a bike or walking or whatever if you're moving from one elevation to a lower elevation um the steeper that that uh, changes, the more difficult it's gonna to be to traverse that. So like if I'm on a bike and there's a 10 foot drop-off, like I need to get off the bike and walk around to the spot. But if there's a if there's a you know ramp down, then I can mm. I can safely and sort of in a in a reasonable amount of time move from the higher spot to the lower spot or the lower spot to the higher spot. So I think just just allowing us to to think through it as you know, these abrupt jarring transitions are abrupt and jarring for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so to to smooth those out the most we can with, you know, lots of communication and warning and, you know, the occasional compromise is great. Um, Becca, yeah, Jesse, one more thing from you. And then, uh, yeah. I
2: think... um, Especially with that ramp, the predictability, even for those of us who are, are like, regardless of, of how scheduled your household is, I think mm-hmm. the way that we build predictability into our kids' lives through the routines and rituals that we have, through what we re- reveal in advance. I mean, I've got a kid that this is hilarious. She, got, she asked me every day on the way home from school, uh, What's for dinner? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I've written it. On uh, anywhere. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if I've already put it up somewhere. It's her ritual in the car on the way home from school to ask what's for dinner. So um, I guess I was just being a little bit of a punk yesterday and I just didn't want to tell her and I didn't tell her. And y'all, four different times she found a different way to ask me what's for dinner. She she would come and ask me a question about homework and then be like, oh, I've got another question. What's for dinner? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's like just the predictability of knowing of knowing what's coming up, and it, it provides so much felt safety for our kids. And so I would just encourage you, especially pre-verbal or, you know, this is, my kids are a little bit older now, but especially when they were younger, if you've got kids that are melting down all the time, that they're really struggling, have a, having a lot of meltdowns, a lot of tantrums, and, and you could just tell they're struggling. We've got a small small amount of flexibility or it feels non-existent to you, I would just play around with upping the predictability in your home. But if they know what's coming and I just wonder if that would help at all. I think, um, I think it just automatically provides kind of a framework for those transitions. Like I know every day when I get in the car, my mom's going to have a snack I know every day when I get in the car, my mom's going to tell me what's for dinner or or whatever else is coming sure. up. I know you know, that this happens in the same order every single time. And um, it just provides a lot of felt safety for our kids, which I think they need.
1: I love that, Jess. And I love what you're saying about you know, the just building in the space, just building in space. So I was at an ETC conference years ago and something that Darren said just completely changed the way that I was thinking about transitions. So he said, if your child is struggling with bedtime, you should start preparing for bedtime when they wake up in the morning. And it just shifted the way that I think about everything because it was instead of, you know, waiting until the meltdown, To try something new. It was how can I set up the environment for success for the kid? How can I help them pick out their pajamas in the morning so that at nighttime it's already on their bed for them? How can I just be super creative and just build in the time and space? Transitions are the most stressful when we've got somewhere that we've got to be. And so I think as adults, it is our responsibility to instead of constantly feeling like we're having to snap or punish or consequence our kids, if we've got a transition that's tricky over and over and over again, you know, it's our responsibility to back up and think about, you know, one thing I love about your house, Jesse, that you've told me before, you start bedtime really early. And I love Mm -hmm. that because it gives you time and space for the kids to really wind down in the way that they need to do it. And I just think that that's really helpful insight, you know, just thinking about kids and transitions, just building in that space.
2: Our kids will often say like, we go to bed way earlier than anyone else. And I think in reality, they actually go to bed around the same time as a lot of other kids. Right. We just start their bedtime like an hour and a half before they're going to fall yeah. asleep. Um, so
0: yeah, it's important. Well, and that that bedtime time can be that the absolute best for Building the connection bridges, you know, like they're like when when we're starting to get tired, our you know cynical defenses are down sometimes for our preteens <laughs> or teens, like then you can you know you can start to catch them at a point where you can have some real conversation, you know, right before bed. So I think it's it's great, um, guys. This has been really helpful, really awesome. So um, thank you both for joining us today to to share um, all all the things you've shared. Um, we will be. Talking again, we've we've said this a few different times throughout this uh, this season so far. Um, We'll be talking more about um, other topics like this throughout the whole um, fall and then into the winter season as well. So if you've got suggestions as for what you would like for us to talk about um, in these series, like whether it's a specific topic or um, you know an issue that might be might be happening that you'd love to see addressed, please let us know whether in um, Instagram or Facebook comments or um, to the feedback form on. Empowered to connect.org slash podcast uh, so guys thank you for joining us and uh, we will talk to you soon Well, a huge thanks to everybody involved in our episode today. Um, and just a reminder that you, we got to watch those transitions with our kids. We got to make sure that we are um, being mindful of how we are setting them up for success. And when we have kids that do struggle with certain transitions, how can we practice outside the moment? How can we take time to set them up well to navigate those tough times that um, that do deeply affect so many kids who have experienced trauma. So with that said, that is all we've got this week for uh, Mo and Tana Ottinger for uh, everyone here at Empowered to Connect. I'm JD Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.